0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org.
1: So it is my great pleasure to be able to have Michael McCord come back to Austin and to give a Dharma Talk. Michael came to San Francisco Zen Center in 2008, 2007? Uh, Yeah, 2007, and I first met Michael when he came to Tassajara in 2009, and uh, he stayed at Hara for five years?
2: Uh, six and a half.
1: Six and a half, six and a half years, <laughs> and uh, um, long after I, I left and came to Austin, and now he is the program director at the San Francisco Zen Center and has been in this role for at least three years, Yes? <laughs> um, almost three. Almost three. <laughs> thank you. Um, Michael's teacher is also my teacher. So um, we practiced with Paul, uh, Ryushin Paul Haller, who some of you met when he was here over the for the Rohatsu Sashin and for the installation ceremony we just had. So thank you very much, Michael, for coming out. And it's great to be able to welcome you back to Austin.
2: Thank you, Marco. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. (laughs) It's really good to be here. And um, I think I was last year in 2016. And um, I consider um, Texas one of my homes. Um, I was born in Fort Worth and went to college in East Texas and lived in Houston until I was seven. So I spent a good deal of time here. Um, And Austin is one of my very favorite places in Texas. And I'm not just playing to the home crowd. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: so thank you Mako for asking me to come here and i um, known Mako for many years most of my Zen practice I've known Mako and she's been a great support and aid and friend to me um, so I'm really happy to be here in Austin and see you here as the head teacher and um, yeah, to be with all of you um, I'm here um, with my partner Hillary who. Is back there. She was speaking at a conference um, here in Austin yesterday, and now we're doing the Zen thing. So. Yeah, I was watching um, a movie a few months ago, and there was a trailer for a movie. And maybe you all have seen this trailer, um, but um, I uh, I had never seen this trailer. It was about this um, individual who had gone back in time all the way to 1986. And um, he was at he was at college, and he was a, a current millennial, um, and he was back in 1986 going to college, and he um, he went up to this this young woman at a at a mixer, and he wanted to get her number, so he said, you know, what's your number? And she says, oh, you know, you can just call the dorm. He goes, well, don't you have a mobile? She says, what's that? He goes, well, how will I? He goes, well, how will I find you? And she goes, well, just just come find me. And he goes, that sounds hard.
1: <laughs>
2: and you know, I, I I remember what it was like before there were mobile phones, and it's it's interesting that there are adults now, the people who are legally adults who don't know what it was like before there were mobile phones. You know, um, who don't know what it was like before the internet. That's where we are. Is that before the internet, before mobile phones. I mean, I can remember knowing people who, when I was a kid, remembered what it was like when there were no cars. And that seemed insane to me. You know, like, wow, that person is so old. (laughs) (laughs) And I realize now I'm one of those, um, going to be one of those people who, who, um, I mean, probably in 30 years I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, you learned how to type? (laughs) Like, on a keyboard? (laughs) And um, there's so many things now that we have relationships with. The, the, the world is speeding up in regard to just staying on top of things. If you would have cut things off 10 years ago in 2008 and um, not done anything more with technology, you would be severely behind right now. And it's amazing how much happens that's so quick. And, you know, I've got my mobile phone. That um helped me find my way to Austin Zen center, and um, you know it's it 's flat they used to flip not too long ago they used to, they used to flip and and there was a time when there when they weren 't smart they they just held numbers and they just had a really bad internet service. Um, now you can do things with them, and you can um, you know we were at Austin City limits the other night and you know, we could do videos, send to our friends, post on Instagram, do an Instagram story. We could do all sorts of things with that. And I'm doing a talk here. This is my talk on um, a... <laughs> this is my um, detachable um, laptop. And it's amazing um, what we have, that we have relationships with. Has anyone noticed that um, sometimes these relationships can be difficult?
1: <laughs>
2: I, mean, I, was at a, I was at a restaurant and I'm sure you all have seen this before I was at a restaurant and there were four teenagers um, all in a booth and they were going out you know, I'm, I'm sure they asked their parents, hey can we go out and do this thing and whatever, they looked like they were about 14 and they were all out and they were um, all on their phones they were, they were with each other but they were all on their phones and I went to a party probably a year ago, and it was a bunch of millennials just out of college. Music was playing, people were drinking alcohol, there were some things going on with these different um, people coming and going, about 15 people. And um, I kid you not, I went into the main room, the music was playing, people were having drinks, and every single person was on their phone. That was the party. <laughs> what are these relationships that? we are having um are these healthy are they um things that we uh, that are helping our lives It helped me find my way to Austin Zen Center um my phone did but um I'm sure all of you have had the experience of asking yourself um how do we integrate this stuff is it is it actually healthy? In order for me to even do anything with this iPad, it needs to do a facial recognition. And then it pulls up and it says, Oh, that's you. And it's amazing what we have relationships with now that we didn't have that long ago. Are we happier? What is it to practice with Zen and have an iPhone, to have an iPad, to have a mobile phone? Are these things necessarily evil? Are they necessarily wrong? Are they necessarily attention fracturing? You know, when they had the Gutenberg press, there were people who were worried about the Gutenberg press and whether or not this was going to be a good thing. The Gutenberg press was, you know, the movable type and being able to actually create books and this sort of thing. Um, people might lose their memory if we had it all written down on paper. Um, we might not actually pay attention the way we used to pay attention if everybody had a piece of paper that had everything on it that they needed to know. What I'm proposing is that with the proper relationships, our technology tools can be an aid to return to the now rather than it just being a compulsion for the next. Now, it seems like with this screen that it's asking for me to do something that's fairly present. And you know, We always talk in Zen about coming back to the now, turning toward to the now, coming back to what's going on right now. So it seems like this phone um, has, um, well, what's going on now? It wants me to do something. I turn it on. Now it wants me to do something else. It wants me to put my finger on there so it can know who I am. And then it wants me to do something else. And it seems like it's saying now, now, now. So that seems kind of zen. But maybe it's next. I mean, it's not when, when, I, when I do this first button push. It doesn't do exactly what I want. I'm like, oh, um, I want something else. So then I need to do another action. Well, that's not quite what I want. I need to do something else. And then I keep going and it goes next, next. No, that's not exactly what I want. That's, that's kind of what I want. But now that I'm where I want to be, now there's something I need to do. And it seems like It's asking me to constantly do something now, but the way that I engage with it, it can very easily end up being something that is just a compulsive next, next, next. Oh, this isn't what I want. And then have you ever gotten to the place where you're getting the thing that you want with your piece of technology? Okay, this is where I want to be. And then you still feel that same energy in your body that you felt, while you were trying to get to that place, that feeling that you were five minutes behind, and if you just rushed a little bit faster, you might actually catch up so now you 're at that place, but you're somewhat mildly disturbed because you kind of have that energy still going in your body, and so then you start doing things with the place that you wanted to be with your computer, with your iPhone, with your mobile phone, with your Alexa pro, with whatever it is that you're doing, and um you you kind of feel like I need to be somewhere else. This is the same thing that they talked about a long time ago with the Zen principle or the Buddhist principle of washing the dishes. And in Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, he talks about washing the dishes to wash the dishes. Now, if you don't like to wash dishes, and most people don't terribly like to wash dishes, um, oftentimes that can be a task to get out of the way, to get done. Let's have that be finished. We just finished dinner. Now we have to wash the dishes. Let's get the dishes done because I want to get on to that thing. I need to do that report. I want to watch Netflix. I want to see my kids. Whatever it is, I want to do that next thing. So the whole time I'm washing the dishes, I'm in the attitude of next. And I'm not washing the dishes to wash the dishes. I'm washing the dishes to get them done so I can do the thing that I really want to do. But what I'm proposing is that based on how we have a relationship with the dishes, how we have a relationship with our technology, has to do with whether or not we will be alive when we're washing the dishes. Whether or not that moment counts too. If there's any moments that don't count, okay, let's get this moment done with. Well, I'm going to swipe right. I'm going to get this moment done with. That's not where I want to be. I'm going to click on the thing. That's not where I want to be. I want to to get to the place where I want to do the thing. I'm not living my life right now. Once I get my driver's license, then I'll, once I get to college, once I graduate from college, once I get that job that I really, now that I have, now i find that perfect person that I want to find that can, then I have that line, now we can have some kids and then I'll get, then I'll go to Zen, but then I'll meditate for 10 years and then I'll finally be that person that I want to be and then maybe my kids will grow up and I'll go to save for their college and then I'll get promoted at work and I'll have that perfect relationship with my partner and then I'll have the life that I want to have and then it can end up being an endless swipe right. It can be an endless next, next, next. What about when you're washing the dishes? Thich Nhat Hanh gave an example of washing the dishes to wash the dishes. When you're doing it, be totally engaged. To be washing the dishes as though that is the most important thing you could be doing on the planet. Because that's what you're going to do. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're washing the dishes. Can that be the most important thing? When you do something as though it's the most important thing on the planet, you have some sort of reverence for the thing. You exalt it. You, you, um, you put your mind and body and heart into it. I am here, dishes, and that's the only place I'm at. You have a relationship with the dishes. Have you ever had relationships in your life that were like a next, where you're just kind of rushing through it, like maybe you've got 928 Facebook friends, like maybe you know this person a little bit, and you kind of like, you know, it's socially awkward not to treat them well, but you're really not your friend, but you kind of give them a little bit of time, but then, you know, what's it like if you have a close relationship, something you deal with every day that you treat like a next Like, okay, I need to get this thing done with that person. Okay, next. It's really stressful. And it feels shallow. And it's fracturing. And it doesn't feed your spirit. So what about the technology relationships? If they're the same way, and they don't have any guidelines, any boundaries any reverence, any way to engage with them, but they're just these surface-level tools that we have a shallow relationship with, they will fracture our focus. They will make us feel mildly depressed and maybe not even more efficient because of that. So what principles in Zen... Would guide us toward having relationships with our technology, with our tools, that would be beneficial, that would be helpful. I mean, I think at first you have to recognize the uh, the the impulse. I recognize the impulse in me that feeds this. Um, for me, uh, oftentimes I, I think about um, I think I think about just being bored. Um, you know where you're not really doing anything you really want to do there isn't anybody you really want to hang out with there isn't that thing you're kind of in between things you got to do some mundane stuff um and you would like to be able to click and say next next okay let's get let's get done with this boring stuff let's get back to my life let's get back to the fun stuff ever since there's been humans people have had boring times they've had things that they had to do. They had to fetch water. They had to feed the animals. They had to take care of the children. They had to find shelter. They had to trudge a long distance to get some water or berries or what have you. There was a lot of just like slogging through and trying to get to like the thing that we're looking for. And now, speed up all the way through human history and we're to this place right now, <clears throat> that at a moment's notice you can get your watch. I have this internet watch right here. It can be on your... Uh, can be on your wrist and you can um you know you, you can connect to all your Facebook friends you can see Instagram stuff you can watch videos you know you're, you're on a bus but you don't have to be bored um, you' you're waiting for the bus you don't have to be bored you, you're you're sitting um, somewhere in your car and you're idling waiting to get food you don't have to be bored it's you can spackle over all of the parts of life that used to be boring where you wanted to say next 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 and we sped it up we sped it up and now we can be with that thing that distracts us, that helps us um, not have to be so bored. Or maybe we're anxious. Or maybe we're grieving. Maybe we're sad. Maybe we're feeling something that we don't want to feel. And now we have an infinite way to get away from that and to um, be somewhere else, to get um, our mind and our focus somewhere else. There's an infinite way to do that. So there's been this inspiration this desire in humans ever since humans have been around to want to be able to click on something and say okay let's 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 move let's move on let's move on let's not do this this thing we're doing let's not do this let's move on can I click a screen can I touch something if you want to study Japanese joinery it's a form of um, architecture a form of Um, construction where you build without um, nails and you actually cut things and put things together in a way to which they kind of fit like perfect Lincoln logs if you will where um, if you've been alive since before the internet then you probably know what Lincoln logs are. (laughs)
0: Lincoln
2: logs are these logs that have little notches in them and you stick them together and you make log cabin like things. Um, and in Japanese joinery for the first year that you're an apprentice and you're learning how to, um, do Japanese joinery, you don't get to touch the tools in regard to building anything. You get to carry the tools for the carpenter, but you don't actually get to do anything with the tools. You might get to sharpen the tools. You might get shown how to sharpen the tools and you get to carry the tools and then you go and you watch and that's your job for the first year. You carry the tools and you watch. And a certain relationship is built around these objects and how we treat them and where we put them. And a certain reverence starts to grow where it's not a shallow relationship. It's not a surface-level relationship. It's not getting the dishes done to get the dishes done. If you've ever seen someone do beautiful Japanese joinery, you look at it and you say, that's something of a mind that was not looking to get the dishes done. They were actually right there doing the thing as they were doing it. They were doing it as though their whole heart was in it, and that was the most important thing for them to be doing on the planet right then was that thing. And a relationship starts to get built between you and the tools. And I was down at Tassahara one year for work period and we had a master carpenter who was there working on um, the, um, the entrance to the pool. And um, the entrance to the pool is beautiful here at Tassahara, and we, we had this gentleman come down who had um, a lot of skills in fine carpentry. And I'll never forget being up at the shop at Tassahara. We had this stack of lumber that he was going to be using, some really nice lumber. And um, one of the people um, just, you know, was visiting the shop, and they just walked right across the lumber. And he stopped them. He said, please don't do that. He said, do you know what we're going to do with that lumber? He says, please treat it with respect. And the person was completely shocked, you know. It was just like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not my bad. I didn't, you know, didn't mean anything by it. Um, but for this individual that was the master carpenter, there was a certain relationship that had been built, with the tools, with the lumber, where it came from. He probably chose that specific lumber, that specific grain. The, the, he probably wasn't just going to put it up. It was probably going to be dusted first, maybe a little sanded, maybe a little varnished afterward. And there was a, a certain love, if you will, an intimacy with the objects that they were going to be interacting with. What develops that sort of relationship with the things that we work with every day, with these tools? That's what I want to um, share with you, are just some things that have helped me, and some things that have helped um, my staff. Um, I'm the program director at San Francisco Zen Center, and we work all the time and discuss, um, how do we stay present with our tools? When I mean, we use video conferencing software, we have you know, an interactive website, we have a media platform with JW Player. We have our mobile phone plan. We have our iPads. We, we do a lot of stuff with technology. And how do we do that? We come there after work circle, after chanting, after Zazen, and then we sit down, and then are we just going to be busy and, and flying through our relationships all day long? We've learned a few things, and believe me, we have not figured it all out yet. But um, there are some things that I've, have found to be incredibly helpful for living in this modern age with our technology tools and the things that um, we have relationships with, that we um, interact with, that where our mind and focus are attuned to um, for a majority of our day. This phone... um, is a mobile phone. I got my first mobile phone 21 years ago. And for the first six years I had a mobile phone, I noticed that um, I always bought the insurance plan. And I got the um, the case and the best case that I could get because sometimes I would drop them. One time I dropped it in the fountain. Um, I've dropped it down a flight of stairs. So... Um, um, And then somebody said something to me, and I forget who it was, but it was before I even started practicing Zen, but it was about a different object in their life. And they said, if you protected it less, you might pay attention to it more. And so for the last 15 years, I haven't bought the insurance plan and I haven't put a case on it. And my mobile phone has a home. It has a specific place that always goes in my bag. And if I'm carrying it, there's a specific place it goes on my body. And when I go home, there's a specific place it goes at home. It only goes in two places. And at work, it goes in one place. It has a home. And I've yet to crack the screen or drop it since I took the case off of it and I quit having my insurance plan. It did something to bring my attention back to the object. And... I don't know if that will work for you or not. But what I'm encouraging you to do is to find things that will bring your attention back to the object with some reference. That's a start. Do my objects have places? Where do they go? Whenever we have our ocasas wrapped up in our okesa envelopes, they're also supposed to go on a high shelf. You don't put them on a low shelf, you put them on a high shelf. Typically, you put them on an altar, and when you take them on or put, when we put them on or take them off, oftentimes you're at or near an altar, you kneel. And there's a certain way in which you hold them when you come into the room. These are rituals around objects. They bring your attention back to the object itself. Now the next thing has to do with boundaries, and this is one of the most interesting things, is boundaries. If you have a relationship that doesn't have good boundaries, what's the relationship like? It's a little difficult. Because anything might happen, and nothing is okay or nothing is necessarily wrong. Um, But just whatever happens, happens. There's no boundaries. And If you are in a a romantic relationship, if you have a child, if you have a work relationship, you know how important it is to have boundaries. Because most of the time, humans are not 100% on the same page. And it's very difficult to discuss things if you don't know the boundaries of the relationship. And so, when will I use my phone? I mean, I have the entire world... In the palm of my hand, I can access just about anything. Pictures, videos, movies, I can talk to it. I can say, you know, Google Play, it happened one night, and all of a sudden it's playing. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power, right there in my hand. Do I have respect for that power? What that might do to my attention span? What that might do to the people that are around me? What that might do to my spirit. So, what are my relationships with my phone in regard to boundaries? So, for me, if it's past 8 o'clock, I have a rule that I don't look at my phone unless it's urgent, well, something urgent happened. But I just don't look at my phone. I won't pull it up, I won't look at it, I won't touch it. And in the morning, if it's before I've had breakfast, I will not look at my phone. It's just a boundary. It's something that I won't do. If I'm out to eat with someone, I will not have the phone on the table. There's all sorts of rules you can write, and I don't want to write the rules for you. But the important principle has to do with, do you have boundaries with your technology? Is there something with that relationship that gives it some sort of specialness around, okay, now there's a certain period of time that I'm going to engage in this technology. Typically, after breakfast sometime, I will open my phone and look into my calendar and see um, you know, what I'm doing that day and if something urgent happened that somebody emailed me about. But not until then. And I know that. And there's a certain sort of cycle to that. Now, anything can be put on this mobile phone. Anything can be put on this computer in regard to... Downloading. We all know what downloading is. You know, you put something on the object or you put it in the cloud and you have access to it. But in many many cases, what we have a relationship with is some form of an application, some form of an applet, some form of an app, as we call it. If you want to rent a scooter in Austin, you get your Lime app and you get it out. If you want to get in a car, you get your Lyft app. You have all these different things we have relationships with. Now, I can go into the Google Store, and I can download hundreds and hundreds of apps, things that could potentially help me be more efficient. What if I had a rule around each one that I had to learn it to a certain degree before I downloaded something else? I mean, you can get a new phone, and you can put a whole bunch of things on it, and then you can know how to use each of those things maybe 5 or 10%. Just enough to make them work. But also just enough to make yourself inefficient. If they break, they don't load correctly, you click on the wrong screen. What if it was like Japanese joinery? Now, you're probably not going to spend a year watching somebody use an app. (laughs) But what if, before you used an app, you had some sort of rule about... um, You were going to write on a with pen and paper. Remember that? Pen and paper. (laughs) You're gonna write with pen and paper for five minutes why you needed that relationship in your life. Just explain it to yourself. Why do I need that relationship in my life? And you write it down. And if you can't really write it down, or you can't really explain it to yourself, then maybe consider delaying starting that relationship or maybe you um, write it down and you realize oh this is going to take a lot of time to learn maybe this isn't the time to actually put it there it is it's this powerful photo software that I can put on my phone that can help me do these um, photo albums then I can link to that other thing it's just like that's actually some time do I respect what that relationship is asking of me That's asking of me for probably at least an hour or two of my time. Do I have an hour or two of my time? Or do I just have the time to download the app and have it sit on my phone and then kind of plug me here and there as I muddle my way through it over the course of the next six months? Having relationships, just like we have relationships with each other, just like we have relationships with any tools in an old world trade, can be used with the same principles with the relationships we have with our technology. There are many people in the past, many cultures that have decided at some point in time, the 17th century, the 19th century, okay, we're done with technology. And you've seen these cultures that have just decided, okay, this is as far as it should go. We've got everything we need, and let's just stop. Well, unless you have decided to do that, you're living in the 21st century, in a place that's increasingly more and more and more connected. Now, there's some part of you that's curious about being in the now and being present, I'm assuming because you're at the Austin Zen Center. But there is a parallel universe over here that is asking you to do a whole bunch of next and do things as quickly as you can possibly do them. They're not asking you to do things simply. They're asking you to do things like you're five minutes behind and just speed up. And it can be very hard to have that relationship without paying attention to it. So it's about setting an intention for the relationship. I intend to have relationships with my technology in a way that is mindful and present and i want to use it in a way that it enhances my life some sort of thing see if you can write out your intention for using the tools that are in your life to actually put it down what is my intention for having these tools in my life why do i have them how do i want to use them five or six sentences and then just with the sheer clutter of the technology sometimes it's really necessary to simplify. I mean, I remember when you used to turn on the TV, and there were three channels in PBS. And we didn't have a remote. You went up and turned the knob. (laughs) You know? And and our TV now in San Francisco, I mean, uh, oh my. I mean, I I know I still haven't explored all the TV. I mean, the TV is this infinite you know, spelunking exercise (laughs) where you could just go down this hole and that hole and the internet is on there and Netflix and all the things from Amazon Prime and you can order and shop on it's it's, it's just a TV how many of these things can we have in our life before it's too much I mean, almost everyone knows someone in their life no matter how much stuff you have in your house you know someone who has more You know someone you consider to be a pack rat, or someone who who collects too much stuff. And maybe you consider yourself to be that person, and you have a garage that you can't get into, or a room you haven't visited in years. And um, you can do the same thing with your relationships with technology. It can just be a mirror for how things were in the past. And then you've got so many gadgets that um, your life is incredibly cluttered. And it can be really hard to be the editor. I mean, I know a lot of people who are really talented at writing, but I don't know a lot of great writers. And the difference between a great writer and people who are talented at writing is the discipline to edit. The discipline to actually throw something away. To say, um, I'm going to hone this. Um, Ernest Hemingway very famously said, um, you have to write 75 pages before you write the first sentence. It's like, you have to get it going before you find that sentence. Okay, that's the sentence I'm looking for. Most people, myself included, will go, there's some really good stuff on page 52. And there's some pretty good stuff on 70. And if you read 18 at the top, okay, that's that's all right as well. But the thing to keep was that sentence on 75. 75. There's a lot of pretty useful, there's a lot of kind of useful, there's a lot of um, might-be-useful technology out there, and there's a lot of shiny objects that are fun. But at some point, you can only put so much soap in the washing machine before it quits cleaning the clothes and it starts causing harm. And can we be the editors with our technology where we, we realize, okay, I have actually gone past the critical mass point, where um, it's not really helping my life anymore. I can't have relationships with them. I, if I bought one more object, um, I already don't have relationships with these five other objects. I really don't understand my TV. I understand about 20% of my phone. I don't understand most of the apps on my phone. And um, I'm now going to get another object? At what point have we put so much into our life that um, the editing function has kind of gone away. It's a real painful thing to edit. You know, if you've ever taken up a, a writing class or a painting class or a sewing class, um, uh, my mom was a painter. And, um, you know, she would teach people um, all sorts of different things. Painting. She also taught cake decorating. And um, it was um, it was amazing. um You know just like a kid in school that did their first thing for mom um, no matter what it was the person wanted to keep it it was their other object I just created this thing and um, you know great songwriters know that you have to be able to let go of like the first hundred songs you write eventually you'll get there eventually you'll get there can we do that and let go of things that are interesting and are fun by realizing that maybe they're making us mildly depressed because they're fracturing our focus. Because we can't really be with our environment, the people around us, because our relationships with our technology are so shallow that um, it's that painful relationship that's next. We see this person and it's just like, "Mm, I really can't give them my time. We're treating them like the dishes. If you have things in your life that are Um, like the dishes, consider whether or not you need to have them in your life. And then what boundaries can there be around that? The other thing I want to talk about just briefly in regard to technology and Zen is the the process with which we work. Now you notice that when we sit Zazen, we typically in the Japanese tradition of Soto Zen will sit somewhere in the 25 to 40 minute range um, for a period of zazen. And when we're sitting, we sit um, with um, this commitment to a movable sitting. And we sit trying to come back to and stay with what's happening right now. And when the thing comes up in our mind that we don't want to think about that makes us angry or makes us feel childish or like we're five years old, we play whack-a-mole, we're like, no, go away. And then whenever the other thing comes up that we want to think about, that sandwich shop I'm going to for lunch and my friend and the other thing, that's like the shiny object. And so that's like the squirrel in the tree with the shiny object. And most of our life we spend either playing whack-a-mole or being the squirrel chasing shiny objects. And so in Zen, we are in Zazen, we're sitting right between those two things. And we're just sitting with the thing that's happening right now as it's coming up. And we're being there like the curious artist, holding it all like a hmm. And in this process, the Japanese Soto Zen form of sitting Zazen rarely goes longer than 40 minutes, and um, sometimes as little as 25, depending upon their schedule. And what was found and is now currently practiced in a lot of places in Silicon Valley is the Pomodoro Technique. I don't know if you all have heard of this, but um, people found through studying people's um, brains while trying to focus and trying to stay present, that there was a drop off after about 25 minutes that you could um, actually chart. And that um, the, they started this technique where they would have people set an intention, work for 25 minutes, engage their technology, most usually is how people are working, and then um, after 25 minutes, stop and then do something else for five minutes. And it might seem like you're wasting a lot of time in the day to take these five minute breaks. But what they found was is these people who used to sit at a desk for seven or ten hours straight trying to work were way more focused and got a lot more done over a seven or ten hour period of time because they were taking time whenever their focus started to wane. And then they would go and do some push-ups, stretch a little bit, maybe do calf raises on the stairs, drink some water, walk around the block, then come back down. And then say, okay, for the next 25 minutes, this is what I'm going to do. And maybe you're working on a three-hour project and you're just going to continue working on the project. You divide it up into a way that your normal cycles of focus are now being engaged. And you actually have this period of time where you can kind of refresh and not look short but look into the distance. And have other things that you're engaging with. There's many things that you can study, but finding the processes with which we engage our technology can do a lot to help us work with it mindfully. And these are things that we're doing a lot at San Francisco Zen Center. My, A lot of people on our staff, um, Joshin, I don't know if you remember Joshin, who used to study here, he's on our staff there, and um, he he does the Pomodoro technique all day long now. And um, he, he just loves it. And um, I don't know if you guys remember Kodo. Kodo used to be here. He works for me as the online programs manager, and he does the Pomodoro technique. And we kind of come back and, and, and you know, help each other, and they help me with things they've found about how to be present with their technology, how not to be fractured and pulled off into this area or that area. So it's good to actually have a workout partner, to have someone um, who you talk to about this sort of thing, to help you with your boundaries, to help you with, oh, this is what my intention is with my technology. Because technology is something that, whether it's a piece of paper or a pen or movable type or the Gutenberg press or the most recent thing from Google, it's something that can just be engaged with. It's a tool. And you can have too many tools. You can have too many shallow relationships with your tools. Or you can have deep, enriching relationships. But it's something that has to be cultivated. And that's what we try to do with our Zen practice, is to cultivate our relationships Humans have been developing technology since the beginning of time, and our relationships with the tools in our life will greatly impact whether we escape into the next or whether we stay with the now. Thank you all. Do we have any do we have time for questions or no? Yeah. Maybe a few questions if there are any questions. Yes. So,
1: a Pomodoro effect, I'm familiar with that, from a how to learn fast, and they use that. So, it's really good when you're studying, also. But I just want to say there's an app for that. <laughs> 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 it's called, and it's very simple, you don't need an hour to learn It's just called Be Focused. Mm-hmm. And you just said it's like a timer.
2: Somebody in my office has that app. Okay. Oh, I've heard the timer go off. <laughs>
0: <but>.
2: <laughs> yes?
1: Hi. Washing dishes and, and the need for reverence with that relationship. I wonder if something that I think about with technology is the fact that oftentimes the things I'm engaging with were designed for that next action. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's something else in life that is similar to that. Like, or is this a completely new type of relationship where we have to fight even harder because it was designed? To Specifically to how you engage with it in a way that is so different from what we're striving for.
2: Well let's unpack that just one level further, okay? <laughs> so just give me a little bit more of your example of the app and what the next is.
1: Um, well, like thinking of Facebook where you mm-hmm. have a
0: never ending feed
1: where so you're looking at one thing, once you're done, you're looking at the next thing. Mm-hmm. And how I know that there are technologists whose primary job is to determine how to keep you engaged with right. these
2: it's just like going to Walgreens or whatever. I mean, people sit at their desk all day long figuring out ways to get your attention. You know, and you, you walk through the aisle. Now the advertisements are on the floor. I mean, they're just, they're, they're everywhere. And, and each one of them is engineered to, like, you know, make you, uh, make it sticky, you know. Um, that is the world we live in, and that's why this sort of thing um, is so important, um, is that you probably won't find an app that isn't in some way or another designed to be sticky and uh, by... Inference, that means that it's kind of asking you to use it compulsively. The thing with um, the now is that, so I'm on Facebook and um, I've got my feed. Um, I have to do um, a realization and be honest with myself, like, how long can I be on Facebook? Like, how long can I sit Zazen? Can I actually be in Zazen for longer than an hour and, and be coming back to the now? That's pretty hard. I usually get up and do, you know, something. I, I bow to and away from my cushion. I do a walk Kenyon. Then I go and I sit back down. And you know, I, I change it up a little bit. You know, if I'm sitting there and looking at my feed, you know, how how how, um, how strong is that muscle to stay present with the thing that's there, or do I, When do I start using it compulsively? And that's a personal study, because every app that you have is going to ask you pretty much in some way or another to use it compulsively. Um, I mean, you can tell someone not to move and sit for you know, 25 minutes, don't scratch your nose, don't, don't move your legs, whatever, just sit for 25 minutes. And as soon as you say go, I mean, the, you're going to want to, like, scratch your nose. Because you, you've set an intention now of, of not doing something, okay? But if I told you um, that you just sat and surfed Wikipedia for 90 minutes and didn't move, you wouldn't be surprised. Because um, that's just where you naturally will go if you're not paying attention, and so um, what, what we uh, are looking at with these applications is an opportunity to realize um, what our relationship is with it and be honest with ourselves. you know And whenever you close an app that you've been using for an hour, just ask yourself, or even write for five minutes, what do you feel like? You know? Do you feel a little wound? Do you feel a little tense? Do you feel enlightened and joyful? Do you feel happy? Do you feel unburdened? Like, what, what do you feel? And a lot of that will be kind of a, uh, an insight or a gateway into how it's being engaged. And then, you know, do a check with a, an application that's really powerful, like Facebook or especially Twitter, where it's just like, um, maybe have a 10-minute timer and just see, oh, you know, where am I with this? You know? Because you can get caught up in the momentum of that sort of stuff just infinitely, and then know your limits, you know? Okay, I can only do Twitter about 20 minutes a day, and I'm gonna have an intention, I'm gonna try to connect with some people. You can do some great connections with Twitter, and um, you know, Hillary connected with people all over the world, and she met them here at this conference, and the first place she met them was on Twitter, and then they're able to connect about their industry, and talk, and what have you. I mean, it can be used to actually um, connect with a lot of people, and it can also be, you know, an endless food fight with somebody that you just don't like politically. I mean, there's all sorts of things that um, Twitter can end up being, but um, but being present with it and asking yourself, you know where am I with this application right now is what your power is, and um you know Facebook probably pales into comparison to what we're going to find in the next twenty years, and it's real important for us now to set up those relationships, yes, in the back
0: yeah it seems unfortunate that. Uh and I don't know what can really be done about this, but that we all have to come up with our own standards. (coughs) We have to find our own boundaries. There's no master carpenter to follow around with his tools for a year. And I think uh, our own blind spots come in there with our own compulsiveness. What is a boundary with this app? Am I really following it? There are apps to help you stay off of them, but I haven't found any to be successful. And I really love it that you're, sharing this dialogue. Bent the wheel because most
2: of us, like, are gonna just fall off of mixed metaphor, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, exactly what you just stated is, is my inspiration for studying this. Um, and, and, and truth be told, there are a lot of books and studies and programs out there now that are being developed. Um, there are things to engage with that will help um, help you where you don't just have to dream it all up from scratch, if you will. Um, but on the flip side, we are still in, in, in the infancy of learning how to engage in this new age of infinite screens. You know, and um, and I'm sure in the next twenty years we'll do away with screens and we'll just have like you know stuff floating. You know, but um, but the virtual world. And um, I, I think that. Um, a lot of that stuff is just now starting to be written. Um, there's there's college campuses that have um, put internet blocking, um, you know, technology in key areas and have removed um, the capacity to be on the internet in different places, realizing that there needs to be these zones where um, people aren't even tempted. And, um, and especially if you have a partner, a friend, you know, how much easier is it to get to the gym when you have a workout partner? You know, I mean, my best workout periods of time in my life have been when I had a workout partner. Because you just get to the gym because you told your partner you were gonna show up. You know, And all those days you wouldn't have showed up, you just showed up because, all right. And then once you're there and you're five minutes in, it's much better. Um, you know, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh in Plum Village had a rule about 10 years ago that I heard of. Where um, you weren't allowed to use the internet unless someone was sitting next to you, and um, and you could you could get on and you know, get your plane ticket or find your way home or get the you know whatever, um, but um, someone just had to sit. You just had to like a spotter, you know, for like the, for the bench press, you know, and um, and it was just it, it was it, it wasn't um, it wasn't a technology is evil stance. It was a this is a powerful thing stance. And, um, it might even be more powerful than than me stance, and um having a reverence for it it's like this is a powerful thing. I have more power than you know all of humans had up until probably nineteen ninety in a little tiny box in front of me that's a big thing, and I have some reverence for it, you know so um i yeah, I think that it's a it's a personal exploration. There are a lot of things out there that have currently been written, and um, there's a lot of people thinking about this subject right now. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of programs, but it is still in its infancy, and um, if you can find a workout partner, it it really helps. It really helps. How are we? I don't know what time it is. It is 11.20. Thank you all. We're going to have to go. I'll I'll be around if you all want to um, chat a bit more. But it's lovely to be here at Austin Zen Center, and thank you, Mako. Um, It's great. See you all.